Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. Of course, as always, you get a heavy dose of my opinion. You have an opinion number to call. 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show. Of course, blogtalkradio.com. Send messages to the show, of course, on Twitter at Go for a Cat, G O F O R I T G A N T. While you're there, give me a follow at Go for a Cat. Like us on Facebook at Go for a Cat, and make sure you go to the website Go for a Cat Sports where we talk sports and have fun doing it. Great show lined up for you today. It's going to be me and only me talking sports and having fun doing it. And I can't wait to do it. A lot to talk about. Obviously, got the NBA stuff going on. We can talk about that. Um, we're, we're going to talk about that. Melo, what's going to happen to him? Houston, Cleveland, or is he going to stay? We're also going to talk about, we're also going to talk about uh, what's going on with the whole Mayweather-McGregor world tour. I was there last night in Brooklyn. I was there last night in Brooklyn. I'm going to talk about it. I was in Brooklyn. I was in the building. And I was there last night, you know, talking about this whole, well, listening to those guys talk about the whole situation. So we got a lot to talk about. And we got a short time to get there. So we're gonna get there right now. Let's start with the Mayweather-McGregor world tour. Now, this tour has been going on throughout the course of this week. First and foremost, perfect timing. You know, obviously there's no sports going on. Baseball, all-star break at this point, and that ends today. But they were, you know, in our all-star break. And so during that all-star time, it's quiet. There's nothing going on in the sports world. NBA is done. That's done in June. NFL training camp start at the end of July, early August. So you're not hearing much about football at this point. So now, so now you look at the whole situation. This is perfect timing. Kudos to the UFC, Dana White, and kudos to Mayweather and Mayweather Promotions for doing this tour at this particular time, it is perfect timing. It doesn't get any more perfect than this. And here's the thing. You look at um, the whole thing, and obviously this is straight from the WWE, 
straight from the WWE playbook. I mean, and, and here's also the thing. A, a lot of you guys who are, are casual boxing fans don't necessarily understand that this goes on a lot in the sport of boxing. The thing about boxing, it, it doesn't play by the same rules as baseball, as football, as basketball, as the NBA, as the NFL, as MLB. It doesn't play by those same rules. So when it comes to boxing, you know, these guys go up there and say whatever they want to say. They say whatever they want. And they say it, and they say it, and they say it. And it doesn't matter whether it's McGregor you know, calling Floyd a B and, you know, saying F you to Floyd and all those things. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Hello? We got that taken care of. Had some technical difficulties. I don't know what you heard, but whatever you didn't hear here, I'm going to start all over. I'm going to start all over. And here's the thing. In the sport of boxing, and what makes boxing different from all the other sports is their ability. I don't know if there's a their ability per se, but it's just they're allowed to say whatever they want to say. And it's no backlash. It's little... To no backlash. I mean, they're hyping a fight. And that's what you do when you hype a fight. You talk as much trash as you want. You talk as much trash as you want. Whatever you feel, you say it. So whether it's F you, calling each other bees and hoes and all this other stuff, it doesn't matter. It's the sport of boxing, and this is how you build up a fight. Those who are not familiar with the sport of boxing might be or might have been taken aback by what happened. They might be taken aback. But you know what? You know what? This is boxing. This is combat sports. And this is a thing, these are the things that happen in combat sports. So whether you're familiar, you're going to get familiar because this fight is big. And, and like I said before, I was in Brooklyn last night, you know, following this. I, I was at the tour in Brooklyn, you know, seeing what this thing is all about. Seeing what it's all about. You know, obviously, I was in the press conference with McGregor and also the press conference with Mayweather, you know, press conference with Leonard Ellerby, um, Stephen Espinosa, Dana White as well. And one prevailing theme, one thing that you heard from all of them is how big this fight is and how big it is. And by golly, this is big. And don't get me wrong, 
it's not going to be a competitive fight. And Floyd Mayweather can try to sell it. Leonard Ellerby can try to sell it. Dana White can try to say it, sell it. Excuse me. Conor McGregor can kind of can try to sell it. Steven Espinoza of Showtime can try to sell it. But at the end of the day, this is a no contest fight. This is a novice, a neophyte. And Conor McGregor stepping into the ring, putting on boxing gloves, and, and, and fighting for the first time as a professional. And he's not, it's not like he's fighting a, 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 another guy, up and coming guy. It's not like he's fighting a guy with a sub 500 record. This is a guy that could be and arguably is the greatest fighter of all time. Floyd Money Mayweather. So it's not like he's fighting just a bum or this average Joe. He's fighting maybe the GOAT. Bah! And so with that being said, being that he is Fighting the GOAT in Floyd Mayweather, to me, it's like, okay, it's really not going to be a fight, but I'm interested. A lot of people are interested. I'm not the only one. Tons of people are interested in this fight. We have a caller who is interested in this fight, I guess. Let's bring him in. Hello. How you doing? How are you? This is Tom. I'm doing good. This is uh, Tom. This is Connor. How are you, Tom? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm literally just tuning in. Are you talking? Uh, you talking fight or? Uh, we were talking uh, Mayweather McGregor, and the popularity of Mayweather McGregor. I mean, it's it's a on paper. Obviously, Floyd is the obvious favorite, but it's a popular fight, and people want to see it. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I I would like to see it. I think it kind of, you know what I think it kind of uh, speaks to is I think it speaks to the fact that um, boxing boxing's been hurt a lot. I think in the last you know fifteen to twenty years, just because a there hasn't been a heavyweight star in who knows how long. And, um, but it's, it's a, it's a sport that has become something of, um, a throwback gimmick in the sense that a big fight happens so rarely that when it does come around, um, I think it creates a lot of buzz. Plus you, you, you have, look, this is, this is not going to be a good fight. And the reason this is not going to be a good fight is that there's honestly no argument you can make for a McGregor winning this fight unless Mayweather's willing to throw the fight to make money on a second one because right. the it's not just that Mayweather is one of if not the greatest boxers of all time it's that it's his style of boxing it's not like you know um a McGregor's fighting Tyson right if he was fighting Tyson you could make up arguments of like all right like maybe he lands a punch on Tyson like Tyson's not you know but like Mayweather's whole thing is that you can't hit him. The greatest boxers in the world can't hit the guy. So, like, McGregor, I mean, look, I'm going to watch it because I think the spectacle is going to be 
I think it's one of those things where the Pacquiao-Mayweather fight, I think a lot of people that weren't boxing fans went in expecting to see this unbelievable slugfest, not knowing what Mayweather's style was. I think people that are tuning in for this are just tuning in to see a spectacle. And so I don't think that people are going to be disappointed no matter what happens. The, the, the sooner it's over, the more spectacle it's going to be. So, I, you know, I think that, that I'm, I'm excited to see it. I, I think it's definitely more of a gimmick than a fight. But for sure, at least it's a big boxing match, which is not something you can say happens very often. And here's also the thing. I mean, at the end of the day, like we said, it's not really the fight. It's the event. And this is going to be a big-time event. I mean, you can look at this press tour, this this world tour they've been on. I mean, it's been an event. It's been straight from the WWE. Do do I think (laughs) these guys really hate each other? Not really. Do I think some of the stuff they're doing is just gimmick, gimmicky and fake? Probably. But, I mean, at the end of the day, they're trying to sell a fight. And at the end of the day, this is probably going to be the highest grossing fight in the history of the sport. And, and that's saying something. The, I mean, the, the main key to this fight, right, is that while McGregor may not be on Mayweather's level as a boxer, he is on his level as a fight promoter. And you're seeing the two greatest fight promoters right. alive doing what they do. And whether their buzz is, tra- it's transparent what they're doing. How angry can you be at someone who's making you a hundred to four hundred million dollars, right? Like, exactly. I'm not going to hate the person that's that's making me four hundred million dollars, especially when that person is. I mean, how could Mayweather hate uh, a McGregor? The guy's making him four hundred million dollars and is fighting in a match that he has zero chance to win. Exactly. Like almost zero chance to win. There's no way Mayweather hates him. McGregor, I, I don't know as much about him. I, I mean. He's obviously in this for money. Like this, look, but whatever. I mean, like the fact of the matter is, is whether they hate each other or not building up to this thing, once you get in the ring and start punching someone in the face, I, like there's some hatred that comes out of you. So I'm sure, I don't think, as as long as this match is not thrown by by a uh, Mayweather, I'm, I'm expecting to see something exciting. Have you been watching a uh, Summer League at all? I have been watching the Summer League and, one thing that stands out to me is Lonzo Ball. I mean, oh, wow. He's, he's getting I'm it done. I'm a Lakers fan. I'm a Lakers fan. We've been, we've, been down. We've, been, we've been down for a while. I mean, I was a Lonzo Ball skeptic, and I think that the, um, the thing that I like to see about Summer League, and obviously, look, you can't take that much away from it, but the his shot is absolutely just as scary as people said that it was going to be. There's no doubt. But what I didn't expect to see out of him, A, his athleticism is very real. And B, yes. it, I mean, I can't, I can't remember the last time that I saw, like, even though he can't shoot, his passing is so elite that people can't play defense on him well because they don't know if he's going to pass or, like, they don't know if he's going to make a brilliant pass to a wide-open guy or shoot. So he's getting into the lane and – you're seeing guys that are there ready to, to um, block his shot or um, uh, defend him, and they don't know what to do because his passing is so elite. And I can't remember a player because, I mean, I'm 30 now, so Magic Johnson era, I never really was old enough to see him in his peak prime, but I have to imagine it, it had to be somewhat 
like just in terms of the threat of people had no idea what he was going to do. Not necessarily that he could shoot, but like he's so different. It's he's just so different than any player you're seeing right now. Like Dennis Smith is lighting it up, and he's going to be amazing. And Fultz, I think, is going to be really good. And Tatum, I'm not as high on, but you know, Tatum's going to be fine. But like he's, what Lonzo he's, Ball he's is doing his, is just he's not different. Tatum is ripping the summer league. And it's like, in it's a different way. Like, Smith is ripping the summer league, too, but in a way we've seen before, in a way that's based around pure athleticism. And, like, Lonzo's just, like, he's making Kyle Kuzma look like he should have been the third pick in the NBA draft. Like, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. And, like, if he's doing that, I mean, like, I think the bigger picture of this, and I'm a Lakers fan, and I'm really, like, I always try and stay away from, like, the Lakers optimism of, oh, we'll get everyone, everyone's going to come here. I think we've been <laughs> thoroughly taken down to earth of that theory in the last four to five years. But, like, if if Lonzo pans out and, be, and becomes not just a player that can help the Lakers, not just someone the Lakers can trade to once again become good again, but can become a part of the aspect of them becoming good again. And if Ingram, who showed out in one summer league game pretty well, if those two guys all of a sudden come around, I mean, you're looking at teams have capped themselves out. The Lakers, I mean, I didn't like the Moscow deal at the time, but the way things are looking, it's going to be the Lakers and the Spurs with about $55 million in uh, uh, space, and then no one else with any space. And there's a lot of, I mean, I don't know. I think that it's possible that the Lakers are on the precipice of a two-year turnaround here. But I don't know if I'm being too optimistic there. Hello? Hello, hello? Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you now. Okay. It, it is. Here's the thing. I mean, I look at Lonzo Ball, and he, obviously he's a guy who's doing it all. I mean, people don't get triple doubles in summer league. He's got two already, and he's got a, another game to play. If the Lakers can win, they move on. But the thing with Lonzo Ball is he's getting everybody involved. The shot, the shot, like you said, is a little scary and is a little questionable. But he is athletic. He gets to the rim, and I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, and I almost hate to say this, but are we seeing a more athletic version of Jason Kidd? Are we seeing a more athletic version of Jason Kidd? And it's almost, I just hate to say it because it's just summer league, and the reality of summer league is most of those guys won't be on NBA rosters and will never be on NBA rosters. But, I mean, uh, I mean, yeah. I I actually think he's, I think he's going to figure out how to shoot. Like, I, I don't I don't think he's ever, I, the big fear that I have about him is that the one thing I don't think he's ever going to figure out how to do is shoot off the dribble, like mid-range type Jays. I don't think his jump shot is conducive to that. But I do think he can get a three-point shot. And if he can get a three-point shot, the amazing thing about Alonzo that we're not seeing yet is that his his other real elite talent besides passing and getting everyone involved is playing off the ball. He's so smart as a player that when he doesn't have the ball, he can cut, he can go for alley-oops. Like, 
that's how he shot such a percentage at in when he was in college was that he was constantly going for alley oops, even when he's just playing with another ball handler who can pass, whether it be KCP or Clarkson or who knows who could eventually come, you know, he doesn't have to be on the ball all, all the time. He's very, very versatile as a player. I mean, I think this, this entire draft class is just loaded. Oh my God. Big time, big time. Like you said, Smith, Fultz. I mean, Jason Tatum is ripping it. Ball is doing some big time things. I mean, the NBA, the NBA is in good hands. I think it's a great time to be a fan of the NBA. And I know a lot of people want to talk about super teams and, you know, it's predictable. It's going to be Golden State against Cleveland. It's all predictable. But the NBA has star power. I mean, whether it's Westbrook, I mean, whether it's, uh, you know, James Harden, of course, LeBron. I mean, there is star power in the NBA. And, and so anybody that says, okay, it's a foregone conclusion, what's going to happen? Yes, you might be right. But it's pretty exciting, and I know this year's playoff wasn't all that exciting, but we, we saw some things that we have never seen or haven't seen in a long time. That's Westbrook averaging a triple-double. We haven't seen that in years. I mean, Harden putting up those big-time numbers. We're seeing things that we haven't seen in the NBA in a long time, and while, yes, we all know what might happen at the end, it's pretty exciting getting there. I totally agree. And you know what? I think what's more fun, right, is that if the any negative effect the Warriors have had on the season, they've had a, a the same positive impact on the NBA being a, a year-round sport, right? Because what you're seeing is, look, this is the natural reaction to what's happening. It's going to take a couple years for people to catch up to the uh, Warriors now. But stars have taken notice. Like, there are going to be two to three super teams made. And I think the main thing that we need to watch now, right, is – and the thing I find most fascinating about what, what's happening is the players starting to take the power, right? And by that I mean, you know, players used to lock themselves into these four- to five-year deals like an Anthony Davis, and he's screwed now. He's on the Pelicans for four years. They can trade him to the Celtics maybe, but the Celtics have to give up assets. And then you always had a LeBron James who was going year to year, right? He was taking one-year contracts. He was putting pressure on the team to make sure they put a team around him. He's not going to be the only star doing that anymore. I think you're going to see John Wall. I, I mean, I think you're going to see more layers of stars starting to take those, you know, two-plus-one contracts, those one, sure. those contracts with player options. For two, like, I think you're going to start to see it because it's the, the players are starting to get – the power and they're like next season you look at the Lakers and you take a look at the Spurs they're going to have about 60 million dollars each and I think you're going to see players around the league figure out a way as long as the Lakers young players are good and as long as the Spurs remain good figure out ways to get to those teams and I, I mean look I do think the Warriors are going to win the title this year I mean on top of all these other teams adding players the Warriors kept adding depth um Depth doesn't really matter for the Warriors, right? The fact of the matter is is that if Steph Curry, if all four of those guys remain healthy, they will win the title very easily. If they don't, then there's competition. I will say this. Right? Like, I think I think you needed a Sean Livingston, and I, I think you needed an Andre Iguodala. You had, at least needed Andre Iguodala. I, and don't get me wrong. 
and I kind of agree with you at the end of the day, as long as you have those four guys, you are pretty much going to win. But I think a guy like Iguodala, a guy like Livingston, it, it kind of it, it clinches it for me because of the, the chemistry that you have and a guy like Andre Iguodala who can defend a little, who, who can pass a little, who can score a little. His versatility is, is big time for Golden State. And, and their versatility in general. I mean, Draymond and his ability to guard multiple positions. I mean, that's what makes You're the Warriors the Warriors. Right. Go ahead. My only argument to that would be Andre Iguodala is like the, the scariest thing about the Warriors is that makes them like absolutely ridiculous is that Andre Iguodala is like the most elite version of the role player you can possibly imagine, right? But like realistically, if Andre Iguodala had walked, and the Warriors had to replace him with Patrick McCaw, that, uh, a, a rookie that played a little bit in the finals last year. They're still winning the title, right? Like, you just need a 3 and D wing who can, like, Andre Igu- Iguodala just makes them absolutely, ridiculously un, just, they can't be beaten. But without him, they're just ridiculously unbeatable, as opposed to absurdly ridiculously unbeatable. <laughs> so it's like, I would agree. He pushes them, like, way over the top. But, like, any mid-range 3 and D wing could accomplish what he does on that team, and they'd still win. So, I mean, it's just I was really hoping they wouldn't hold on to him, but they did. Yeah, I mean, they're barring injury, and I and barring – well, we'll see where Melo goes. I think Melo to the Cavaliers changes things. I might be in a minority okay. of that. But I, I will say this about Melo, and, and I think this is how you can judge players. Look at Melo when he played on the Dream Team. Melo was one of the better players on the team. He's the all-time leading scorer in USA basketball history. There's a reason for that. Melo plays well when Melo has big-time talent around him. He'll have big-time talent around him in Cleveland. And if he goes to Houston, he'll have big-time talent around him there. So a guy like Carmelo Anthony, a guy who steps up to the plate when he's surrounded by big-time talent, I think he'll flourish in Cleveland. I think he'll flourish in Houston. Not saying they'll beat Golden State, but they have a chance. I would agree. I would much rather see him go to the Cavs for ideally love I think that makes the I think that makes the Cavs very interesting. I just think LeBron is is so, is so incredible that if you could replace Love, who who really he's a superstar only by name at this point because the way he became a superstar was he was the elite stretch four wing before every team had a stretch four wing. Now stretch four wings are a dime a dozen. In fact, you're a bad team if you don't have one. And it's it's really lessened love's love's impact. I mean, his he's a he's a he's a, a star by name only. I think if if, if they could get um, Mello for him, I think it makes them infinitely better. While we're on the subject of uh, of Mello, I mean, is there any explanation for what the Knicks do other than they're just trying to make their fans hate them? Like I, they like I was so one of my best friends is a Knicks fan, like diehard, and he just like. He basically just expects the worst constantly. Like, we were making jokes after they signed Tim Hardaway Jr. to a $73 million contract. Um, like, what? 
Like, what are they, what are they going to, we were like making up things they were going to do next. And then they actually went out and did something that is like actually just as dumb as something that we would have made up was that they traded a sec, like they actually gave up compensation to hire the assistant GM of the Sacramento Kings. Like there's David Griffin sitting there on the market and they, they give up a legitimate asset. Like a second round pick these days can actually turn into someone decent. And especially when you're as bad as the Knicks are going to be, they, they trade an asset to get an assistant GM on the Kings. They take Nitalinka, who when Dennis Smith Jr., like the, the skies parted for him to be sitting there for the Knicks at eight. The Mavericks couldn't get their pick in fast enough after the Knicks passed on him. They signed Tim Hardaway Jr. to a $75 million contract, which is, okay, if it was last summer when everyone was getting absurd deals, great. But in this summer where only smart deals are getting signed, the Knicks signed by far the dumbest contract of, of the offseason. This mellow thing is whatever. I mean, like they gave him the no the no trade clause, but it's like you fire Phil only to bring in a GM who's just as just as dumb, and then you trade with. I mean, like they're unreal. Like their moves are, they're like, they're like the Donald Trump of the NBA. Like it's almost like they're doing these things purposely just to be as stupid as they possibly can be. Well, I guess in, I mean in reality. The Knicks are where they're at for a reason. They just can't get out of their own way. They just can't do it. They haven't been able to do it over the past year. I will say one thing. I will say one thing. I know the Tim Hardaway Jr. contract is a lot. But in today's market, a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr. averaged 14 points last year for the Hawks in 27 minutes. So you increase that minutes, those minutes, I should say, you know, an extra five, six, seven, eight minutes a game, that 14.5 PPG is going to go up. Again, and today's now, money – go ahead. Here's, here's my main problem with that. One, today his, they paid him probably 25 or 30 million more than any other team would have actually given him. I think his max salary per year would have maxed out around $11 million. They ended up giving him 18 and they gave him a trade kicker that says if he gets traded, he gets an additional like 20%, which had, there was no reason to put that in. So not only did they sign a horrible contract, they put a poison pill into the contract. So the Hawks wouldn't match it. That made the contract untrade. They, they basically just took the poison pill that just on their own Two. When you pay a guy that kind of money, yes, last summer's but last summer's market, 2016, the Lakers signed Mozgov and Dang, and all these centers were signing, and everyone was getting $20 million deals. That's going to go down as probably the worst free agency summer in the history of the NBA. Like teams are just destroyed themselves from that summer, and as a result, you saw a bunch of smart moves this year. Third. There were no teams with cap space left. It's not even like they can defend themselves by saying they thought the market was going to be crazy and they signed this guy at 12.01 p.m. This was like six days into free agency when all teams had used up all of their cap space. They were bidding against no one. So they spent probably $30 million more than they actually needed to, bidding against nobody. And then finally, fourth, even if Tim Hardaway, let's say everything we're saying is true. He goes to 33 minutes. Now he's averaging 19 points a game. His defense, which is completely over uh, uh, rated, turns out to not be, and he turns out to be good. So he's averaging 19, and he's playing some D. And, like, he's, he's not going to average 19 on a good team. So he averages 15. He shoots the three ball at 38%. He 
becomes a defensive stalwart, and he fulfills every bit of potential he possibly has. Do you know what Tim Hardaway's worth? Probably around $72 million over four years. So you're paying him at the assuming that everything goes right, every single thing goes right, right. and then he's maybe worth his contract. And, like, that's a recipe for disaster. That's always been a recipe for disaster in sports. Like, if the best case, like, the only argument that you can make is just an argument that, like, okay, well, the, the Knicks have signed worse players, right? Like, at least he's not a 33-year-old center who it was already injured going into the season. So, like, yeah, if that's the standard that we're holding the Knicks to, then, it's, then they signed Michael, Michael Jordan. But, like, if the Knicks, I don't know. I don't, I just, I fail to understand what they're thinking almost ever. And I think everybody fails to kind of understand what they're thinking. I mean, now there's talk that they may want to keep Melo, and Melo's not too happy about that, obviously. But it's it's their mess. They're their absolute mess. And the reality of it is, they traded Tim Hardaway uh, for Jerry and Grant uh, a few years ago, and now they essentially overpaid to bring him back. So, <laughs> and I mean, like, ugh, here's 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 another way to think. Yeah, like they knew. Like, okay, here's 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 another way to actually uh, think about this. When you're a team like the Knicks, so the Lakers, who made probably two of the most atrocious free, the most atrocious free agency moves of all time last year, they had to give up D'Angelo Russell just to get off of the um, uh, uh, Mozgov contract. I don't want to act like that was a total salary dump because in some way they got a couple assets back. But it was based, they had to basically salary dump the number two contract. I mean, the number two pick, who still I think is going to be very good to get off of a horrible contract. The Knicks have Porzingis. They are, so they signed Tim Hardaway Jr. when they already have Courtney Lee, who I would argue is probably a better version of Tim Hardaway Jr., or at least as good as Tim Hardaway Jr., at $9 million a year less. Um, also, they should be trying to tank. But let's assume they weren't trying to tank. Let's assume that they were trying to be good, but they were just a smart franchise. If they'd, this offseason could have gone exactly like this. Oh my goodness, Dennis Smith Jr. falls to us. Wow. We lucked out. We're going to take him. Now he looks amazing. The Knicks are starting to look good. We are not a free agent, a, a, a destination right now. We know we're a ways off, so we're going to wait, even though we have $20 million. Oh my God. Contavious Caldwell Pope, who's actually very good is now on the open market. And guess what? We have $20 million a year. We probably shouldn't lock him up to a long-term deal, but we're the Knicks. We're stupid. We're going to sign a long-term deal. So then you get Pope. Um, at minimum, and then you trade Mello for what is likely going to return a couple first-round picks, maybe something a little bit less. So, like, just by not being unbelievably outland and, okay, and – David uh, Griffin, who was the GM of the Cavs, who's excellent, is randomly on the market because the Cavs owner's a jerk. So, oh, my God, we can now hire him, and the direction of the franchise is starting to look good. So just by not being just unbelievably stupid, and, like, even assuming they signed probably an ill-advised contract for their timeline in Pope, they look like a team that is facing in the right direction, when instead they draft Nitalinka then they pull Mello off the table. They lock up. They now have about $40 million in cap space over the next four years tied up in Joakim Noah and Tim Hardaway Jr. Like, that Noah deal was bad. Awful. And, awful. Like, 
and their GM is, and they gave up draft pick assets for a GM. Maybe and they know something you know. that we don't know. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> we've okay. seen the Kings they, moves they, over the years. Not I mean, very good. They definitely, they I think the Knicks definitely know something we don't know. It's just really, it's just what they know is unbelievably stupid. <laughs> and, and that, I don't know. Unfortunately for Knicks fans, might be a reality. Great call, man. Call back again. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And so, obviously, <laughs> like the caller pointed out, the reality is when you look at the New York Knicks, Yes, they're, they're a walking mess. I mean, they just make mistake after mistake after mistake. But maybe Jim Dolan, maybe Steve Mills, they see something that we don't see. I don't know. I don't know. But <laughs> it should be interesting to see what happens. And it should be interesting to see what happens with Carmelo Anthony. I mean, this has kind of been like an up-and-down situation. You know, Phil Jackson's there during the season, near the end of the season. He's saying, you know what, we need to move him. You know, Melo needs to be elsewhere, da-da-da-da-da. Jackson's going, Steve Mills is there, and reports are they they were pushing harder and harder to move Melo. And, you know, there was talk that was a possible four-team deal involving the, uh, the Rockets, involving the Knicks, involving, the, you know, a few other teams. But they were trying to get teams involved because the Knicks didn't want to take on big contracts and didn't want, you know, older players. They wanted younger guys. And here's the thing with this whole situation. And now we get a report that the Knicks now want to keep Melo and and looking to meet with him and possibly trying to reincorporate him into the fold again. And then now, you know, we're getting reports that Melo is like, look, I don't want to be here no more. You know, at one point, I wanted to be here. I wanted to stay. I wanted to be a part of this. Now, I don't want to be here no more. I want to be gone. And so, and the only two teams that reportedly Melo is willing to waive that no trade causes clause, excuse me, for is the Cavaliers and the Rockets. Only two teams that he's willing to do it for. And so, I look at Melo. I look at the whole situation with the Knicks, and, and I'm like this. Like, if you're the Knicks, you got to find a way to move Melo, in my opinion. Why bother reincorporating Melo? You need to break this thing down to build this thing back up. The Knicks are a mess. They are a mess. They could tank. I mean, that's always an option. And me being a Philadelphia 76ers fan, I'm not opposed to tanking. In fact, I think it's a great idea. I love the idea of tanking. I think it's an amazing idea. I think teams all around the league should think about tanking. If you have no shot to win, tank. The Philadelphia 76ers tanked and stanked, and were awful for a long time, three, four, five years. And they were awful for a reason. They were purposely awful. They were awful for a reason. 
They tried to be awful. And they did a good job of doing it. <laughs> they did a great job of tanking. And within that tanking, you found a way to get a Ben Simmons. And we'll see what happens there with Ben Simmons. I mean, he was hurt last year, but he's back. Hopefully he can stay healthy. And if he can stay healthy, he's got an amazing skill set. An amazing skill set. You got Joel Embiid. If he can stay healthy, he's going to be a big-time big in this league. He's going to be a big-time player. I mean, the numbers that he put up with a minute's restriction is were amazing. So if he can stay healthy, you got something there. Then you got Markel Foles, a, a guy who, you know, number one draft pick, number one overall draft pick in the 2017 NBA draft. A guy that has proven in college that he can put the ball in the basket. Then you got Dario Sarge. Came over last season. Easily could have been a rookie of the year. Put up some big-time numbers. Played some big-time basketball. And did some big-time things for the Philadelphia 76ers. He's a building block. You got a lot of talent in Philadelphia. And one of the reasons that you got a lot of talent in Philadelphia is you tanked. They stanked and they tanked, and they got assets galore. Now, there's other ways to do it. The Boston Celtics, were they, they found a way to kind of rebuild on the fly, if you will. I mean, they found a way to gather assets and, and, and also found a way to be successful. It did help that they were able to get an Isaiah Thomas along the way. You know, those things help. And it did help that the Brooklyn Nets were looking to win right away and in the process of looking to win right away, they did a horrible deal. Got two players past their prime and Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. Those two players past their prime got them to the second round of the NBA playoffs a few seasons back, but it also put a put that franchise and has taken that franchise back big time. But they're still recovering. And, you know, they, they had the number one overall pick. But unfortunately for them, it went to the Boston Celtics. Now, so back to the Knicks. They got to figure something out with this mellow situation. I, I think if you're the organization, the Knicks organization, you got to move them. You, you got to find a way to move them. You got to get him out of New York, and you got to start all over. You just do. And I thought it was a bad idea for Melo to sign back with the Knicks anyway. And I know the Knicks could give him the most money. I know his wife is a New Yorker, and he wanted to stay in New York. I know all those things. But to me, from my standpoint and from my belief, if you're Melo at the time, you should have went to Chicago, a team that was closer to winning than the New York Knicks organization, a, a team that did not have a guy in Phil Jackson, albeit a great coach, albeit maybe one of the greatest coaches of all time, arguably. He's never been an executive in this league. He doesn't know what it takes to be an executive in this league. And as an executive, he was an absolute failure. He was a failure. He failed. 
big time. And so he failed, and Melo trusted him, and the Knicks organization has taken steps back. Hasn't been they haven't been in the playoffs during Phil's three years. Absolute mess. 80 and what? 260 something, I believe. I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but it was very sub 500. Very sub 500. And so if you're the Knicks, you're just a walking mess. An accident waiting to happen, I guess you could say. Just an accident waiting to happen. But also, if you're the Knicks, it's time. It's time to move forward from Carmelo Anthony. It's time to figure out the next thing. The next thing should be moving Melo, rebuilding this thing, starting this thing all over, and figuring out a way to move forward. Just my opinion, just my belief. But also, if you look at what's going on now, to me, if the Rockets can get their hands on Carmelo Anthony, it helps. And we can say, oh, you got three guys who are ball dominant, but you also got a guy in, in Chris Paul who can run the show. You got a guy in Chris Paul who can get it here, there, and everywhere. You got a guy in Chris Paul that can get everybody else involved. And whether that is Melo, Harden, Nene, whoever else, Eric Gordon, if he's still there after this, whoever else, Paul can get those guys involved. CP3 can get everybody the ball in every position that they like. Melo's ability to score everywhere. Score in the post, score mid-range, score behind the arc. Melo can score off the dribble. I mean, the guy is Kevin Durant-like in terms of his ability to score the basketball. Kevin Durant and Carmelo Anthony are two guys that can score in so many different ways. Durant, not so much the post like Melo, but again, both of those guys have the ability the skill set to be able to score the basketball from so many different angles and so many different places. They have that ability. And so when you have the Golden State Warriors, a, a, a team that can score the basketball, a team that can fill it up, I mean, Kevin Durant makes that team unbeatable at this point. They can score in so many different ways, and they just go on explosions. And before you know it, you know, you're up five, then you're down 20 because Kevin Durant got hot, because Steph Curry got hot, because Klay Thompson had a 30-point quarter. Excuse me. I mean, that ability, that, that, that skill set, that just ability to explode separates Golden State from everybody else. Cleveland, the Cavaliers, they can score the basketball. 
but they can't score it like Golden State. They just can't. The Spurs can score the basketball. They can't score it like Golden State. They can't. The Houston Rockets can score the basketball. They can't score it like Golden State. They can't. So all these teams I mentioned can score the basketball, but they can't score it like Golden State. You have to outscore Golden State. That is your only option or only way to beat this team. I think we saw it in the NBA Finals. Cleveland didn't have the horses, didn't have the horsepower to beat the Golden State Warriors. They didn't have it. And because Cleveland didn't have it, they had no shot in beating this team. Melo, whether he goes to Cleveland, whether he goes to Houston, gives those two teams another score. Those two teams, another score. A guy who can get 20 points in his sleep. All you have to do is just mellow, put the jersey on, wake up, give me 20. Sure. That's the ability that Carmelo Anthony has. And again, when you're playing with a guy like LeBron James or a guy like CP3, your shots, you're going to get better shots. You're going to get open looks. You can't give a guy like Melo a bunch of open looks because if you give a guy like Carmelo Anthony a bunch of open looks, he's going to knock those shots down. And we can talk about the defensive end. I I think he's defensively – he's competent enough. I I mean, we're not asking him to be a lockdown defender. We're not asking him to be Bruce Bowen. We're we're, we're not asking him to be that. We're not asking him to be T.R. Dunn. That's a blast from the past, a big-time defender. We're not asking him to be Alvin Robertson, another blast from the past, big-time defender. We're not asking him to be a lockdown defender. We're not. All we're asking Melo to do is be competent. He can do it. He's competent enough. He's competitive enough. He's 33 years old. He's near the end of his career. His boy LeBron has a chip. He wants one. He wants to be like his boy. His boy D-Wade has a chip. He wants one. He wants to be like D-Wade. CP3, he wants a chip. He wants to be like his boys on the banana boat. He wants a chip. So all these guys, Melo and CP3, want chips. These guys are hungry. CP3 wants to get out of the second round. He hasn't done that, ever. He's trying to get out of the second round. So the reality of it is, those guys are hungry. Those guys want to win. And whether Melo is in Houston, whether it's in Cleveland, he is going to work. He is going to fit. I actually think he fits better in Cleveland than he does in Houston, but I think he fits in both places, 
he's that good. He's a star. He's a superstar player. And he proved it in Olympic play. And you could say it's Olympics, and you could say they're not playing NBA caliber players, but they are. There are some NBA players in France, playing for France and, and, and Spain. And, you know, they're playing for those teams. And so, Melo, greatest scorer in USA basketball history, better than Jordan, better than LeBron, better than Kobe. That's amazing. This dude can score the basketball. He can score the basketball. He can score the basketball. Let me say it one more time. He can score the basketball. You don't want that, Houston? You don't want that, Cleveland? And, and I thought last year the L.A. Clippers, what are you doing not trying to get your hands on Melo? You had no shot at beating the Golden State Warriors with the way you were presently constructed. No shot. Why would you not try to get your hands on Carmelo Anthony? It doesn't make sense. This guy can score the basketball, and that's what you need to beat the Golden State Warriors, a guy that can score the basketball. Bottom line, point blank. Boom. We got a few more minutes to go. About five more minutes left. Let me go back to Mayweather McGregor. I was there last night in Brooklyn uh, for the world tour. You know, and and let's be honest. As I said before, I said earlier, this ain't real. This this is fake. They're just trying to promote the fight. I remember Mike Tyson saying, I think it was the Lennox Lewis fight. You know, Mike Tyson did a lot of crazy things during that promotion including fight Lennox Lewis and bite his leg and, you know, saying a whole bunch of craziness and so on and so forth. But I remember Mike Tyson saying after that fight, I was just trying to get a payday. I I was just trying to get a payday. And in order to try to get a payday, he felt like he needed to promote the fight. He felt like he needed to do crazy things in order to make the fight have the buzz that it ended up having. I believe at the time it it was the highest-ranking pay-per-view. At the time, and I'm, I'm I'm saying that, but I'm not saying that definitively, but I almost believe that was the case. But it made a lot of money. And a part of the reason that it made a lot of money is Mike Tyson's popularity and Mike Tyson doing crazy things during the promotion. Part And, and this whole Mayweather-McGregor thing, I don't think it necessarily needs this to, to, to make big-time money, to rake in the dough. But this don't hurt. This don't hurt. This helps. This this helps big time. This helps everybody. Conor McGregor's going to make a whole lot of money, at least $100 million. Floyd Mayweather's going to make a whole lot of money, probably two to $300 million. That's a lot of money, man. It, it, it's crazy that we're saying this. It's crazy that I'm saying it, but that's the reality of the situation. Manny Pacquiao, Mayweather did what, 4.6 million pay-per-view buys. This might do five. This could do six. I mean, you got the MMA world on board. You got the boxing world on board. And and there, you know, you got some diehards out here who who are not loving this. I love the sport of boxing. I don't necessarily want this particular fight to happen. I didn't want it to happen. What's happening is here, 
it is what it is, but it is intriguing. I know the outcome. I kind of know what's going to happen, but it's going to be intriguing. It's going to be intriguing. And so McGregor, he might get stopped, might not, but he's not going to have no shot. And the thing is, it's not like Mayweather is going to stand in front of him. And if he does stand in front of him, he's so elusive. He's so hard to hit. Miguel Cotto, Manuel Marquez, Manny Pacquiao. The list goes on and on of guys who tried boxers, guys who boxed their whole life, guys who who spent hours upon hours upon hours, years, honing their craft in the sport of boxing. Conor McGregor, albeit a great striker in UFC, he is a totally different animal. This is something that he's not has not seen before. Do you know what? You know why Conor McGregor is so happy? He knows he can't win, but he also knows this. At the end of the night, when that check clears, he's going to be $100 plus million richer. And that is something that will excite you, me, and everybody. I wish I was Conor McGregor right now. You can listen to this show on other great shows, blogtalkradio.com slash pecant, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at go for Go to the website, GoForAgainSports.com, where we and have fun doing it. For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great weekend. See you later. Take care. Bye.